Welcome to the Healing Center Conversations podcast, where we create space for conversations that heal. I'm your host, Dr. Byron McClure, a nationally certified school psychologist. I, along with our special guests, will give you insight to promote collective healing by putting people first. Through weekly conversations with educators, psychologists, and healers, we'll discuss ways to heal, thrive, and live your best life. This is the Healing Center Conversations Podcast. Welcome to the Healing Center Conversations Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Byron McClure, and we have a very special guest in the virtual building, none other than Ashley Tucker. Ashley, how are you? Byron, it's so good to see you. I'm feeling grateful to be here overall, Um, just learning and understanding so much every day. I'm really happy to see you. Yes, likewise, likewise. And I've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time because you are doing some some really excellent work. But I really want to check in like for real, for real. Like I know I say, how are you? But like, how are you with everything that's that's going on lately and being a teacher? Like, how are you? Well, this has been a really challenging educator year. Like I've been saying to a lot of people, the job is is not so sexy right now. It's challenging, staffing shortages, all the emotions everyone is bringing to school, to work, parents, their emotions too. It's been a challenging year, but there's still been a lot of joyful moments between all of the understaffing and pivoting that we've done, a lot of joy and a lot of opportunities to learn and grow. And I guess that's all we can really ask for right now. Yeah. And I love that perspective. And even in my work, I'm making it a priority to talk about joy. And I love how you just framed it as we have more opportunities, which is really cool. And you found an opportunity, um, really a necessity with some amazing work that you created and teachers pay black teachers. And I want to dive into that a little bit. And I want you to start with why was there a need to create this platform in the first place and share with our listeners what teachers pay black teachers, what that is. Okay, sure. So I founded Teachers Pay Black Teachers. Are you familiar with Teachers Pay Teachers at all? Yeah, break that down too, because some of our listeners might not be. Okay, so Teachers Pay Teachers is a website where sellers, mostly educators, can set up a marketplace or a store where they sell lesson materials, lesson plans, instructional materials, things like that. So I had just kind of taken a dive into Teachers Pay Teachers. I put a few resources on the website. And what I realized was that in February, more teachers were buying my lessons. So I was like, okay, that's good to know. Culturally responsive, anti-racist content. A lot of teachers are looking for that, particularly in February. So I kind of just left the lessons on there and kind of forgot about it. But after the tragic murder of George Floyd, more teachers started buying my lessons again. So you see that same trend. But then I also got an email that my lessons were deactivated because of maybe being racially insensitive. And I was really confused because it's really important to me to make sure that my lessons are appropriate and engaging and culturally relevant and sensitive. And so what I found after doing some more research on Twitter is that there were people that were concerned about 
people profiting off the memory of murdered individuals. So they had gone through Teachers Pay Teachers and just reported every lesson that they could find. And then they were leaving it up to the website to go through them and see what was appropriate and what was not. And so in that moment, I realized, like, I don't really have control over my work. I've left it up to this website where they can turn it off, turn it on, take it down, you know, so I kind of tweeted about it a lot. And the response was like, start your own, start your own, start your own. And so that's kind of how Teachers Pay Black Teachers was born. And I actually did an interview with Education Week, and they wrote a, a whole article about how Teachers Pay Teachers started a new anti-racist initiative after the murder of George Floyd, along with a lot of companies but that they still had racially insensitive content on their website. So while my lessons were censored, they still had a lesson on there with a slavery escape room and things like that. So what I realized was that I needed to create a platform where I could share my own work and that I could also use that as an opportunity to highlight and connect other BIPOC educators, experts, and service providers. So basically, Teachers Pay Black Teachers is an avenue to ensure that our work is seen and valued, that we receive compensation for our work, and that we have ownership over the way our work is shared. And that's so important for so many different reasons. One reason in particular that really resonates with me is the ownership component of it. And like you said, and I don't want that to get lost, when you put it on Teachers Pay Teachers or Etsy or any other site, you're at the mercy of that particular platform. They can censor it. They can remove it. Other people can copy it. There's so many variables that are out of your control. And so taking that control back, making sure that it's used the way how it's intended is super important as well. And Teachers Pay Teachers, was was it created by people of color or was it created by some other folks? In my research, a lot of the the members and the board members of Teachers Pay Teachers are actually white. And that was another thing. So they actually reached out to me and we had a meeting about what had happened. And they actually asked me for some ideas of how they could make their anti-racist initiative stronger and more meaningful. And I left that conversation like feeling used again. Mm-hmm. So then that really kind of motivated me even more to start the website and and get the resources out there. Another thing about Teachers Pay Teachers is that the images you use on the, your lessons, those have to be like original images too. You can't just use images from Google or whatever. You have to make sure that those images, you cite them or that you purchase them from somewhere else and that they're cited. So another part of Teachers Pay Black Teachers is that we are building a bank of beautiful, hand-drawn, inclusive images for everyone's use. So if you do want to create your own content, here are images that you can use free of charge. Um, And that's just another way to kind of motivate others that we can get into that space too, where we're creating and selling and that's just making a little bit easier on that path. And I, I love this for, for so many reasons. And I'm the founder of Lessons for SEL. One of the reasons why I founded Lessons for SEL is because the lack of representation. And when I talk about the lack of representation, I'm talking about something as 
is small, but it's big and meaningful names and curriculums, right? We don't see a, a vast representation of different names, names like Saquon or like you'll see Jonathan and Timothy and Lizzie. Like, no, yes. like I need to see names like the folks who I grew up with. Right. And so I purpose to create curriculum that had names that okay, I can relate to graphics and images and representation to where it's like, okay, I'm flipping through this curriculum or watching a video and I see people who look like me. That's important. And so when you talk about you are creating as part of Teachers Pay Black Teachers, a bank that has graphics of black people and different representation, like that's big. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I don't want that to get lost. Oh, definitely. So I am a special education teacher. And so a lot of the lessons that I make are individualized and modified to meet my students' needs. And so in creating lessons, let's say I would do a Google search for teenagers, you know, because we're talking about friendship or whatever the lesson is on. I'll find a teenagers Google search. It'll find mostly white teenagers. And those teenagers don't look like my students who are mostly black and disabled. So then I might say, okay, let me see if I can find teenager, black teenagers. I'll, t- I'll type that into Google. And then what will come up is mugshots. Mm. Wow. And it was incredibly upsetting. And I realized that, let's say I want to do a meditation or a yoga brain break. If I type in yoga or meditation on YouTube, all of the less, all the, the videos are coming up of, of white people. And we have to be able to see ourselves in positive lights. And if that doesn't exist, or if our Google search aren't finding those things, then we have to create them for ourselves. Um, And that was a big part that motivated me. Why, when I'm searching for Black teenagers, I'm seeing news stories coming up of of crime, and I'm seeing mugshots in the images. And it was heartbreaking to me. So I was working with another educator who's an artist, and we decided to start this. I was going to ask about that. Okay, so you're working with the artist who's also an educator as well. And so now you all have created these graphics. You've created Teachers Pay Black Teachers. What's the setup? Are people going to the website? Do they have to pay for the graphics? Are they putting their products on your website and then selling? Like, how how does that work? So the images are 100% free. You would just go on the website and you do have to still fill out your information. But when it comes to make a payment, there's not a payment that needs to be made. You can make a donation to the website if you would like, but you can also just share as another way to support. My partner in this work, she's white. She doesn't want any credit. She doesn't want any compensation. And she said that very intentionally. I, I don't want any compensation. I just want to support. I'm in a way, you know, giving up that positionality in that way. Like, I don't want to be the face of this. I just want to, whatever you need drawn, you let me know, you put it on there and, and that's it. And then as far as other people sharing on the website, that's a part of the website that I definitely want to grow. Right now, I have a lot of educators featured as experts and links to their work. I mean, I also have some other people that have contributed to the platform. If they share their work, they can set the price and then the funds will go to them. Donations will go to them. So if you're interested in sharing your work on Teachers Pay Black Teachers instead of Teachers Pay Teachers or any other website, uh, you would just reach out. I'll set up a time to work with educators, go through some of their lessons and get 
them up on the website as quickly as possible. And I'm trying to eliminate some of that red tape or intimidation that comes along with sharing your work because it's, it's critical. It's urgent, you know, us getting our work out there now. Yeah. And I love that you are prioritizing getting the work of us out there. And it seems that it's a very collaborative process, which I I appreciate that. I'm also wondering if for the future, if you have this as a business model um, to where you are going to turn teachers, pay teachers into, you know, a, a business that's generating profit so that you can scale this work. Is that something you've thought about? I've definitely thought about it. Obviously, there's a lot going on I've, and I've been in grad school and things like that. But that's another thing. It's like. This work can happen organically. And I think it's beautiful how it happened because I never sat out and said, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start a website. It happened very organically. And even the way the website has grown has been really organic. So over time, not putting too much pressure on myself, I'm taking small steps forward and to get to that place. Yeah. And I know you are busy. You have so many different things going on. I would love to hear about your current work outside of Teachers Pay Black Teachers. What are some of the other things that you're you're just doing in, in your free time? <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> I'll talk about that. So I'm actually based in Brooklyn, New York, and I work for the DOE in District 75, which is a specialized district that serves students with disabilities. So I actually work my day job as the dean of a high school serving students with moderate to severe disabilities. So my typical day is leading conflict resolution and crisis intervention in my school. Most of the students that I work closely with are classified as emotionally disturbed. So these are students that experience big emotions, but also due to their special education placement, many of our students come to school with negative perceptions about school. And so do their parents. So it's really my goal to support teachers in creating a safe and supportive environment for those students, but also in driving school culture, because teachers also need safe and supportive environments to work and serve students in. Yeah. And as the dean, are you responsible for working with students when there's disciplinary actions or do you approach it from a preventative approach or what? What's your role as the dean look like? A big part of my role as the dean is building relationships. And I find that if you're doing that work on the front end, you're able to respond more appropriately to students when there are crisis moments. So I tell the teachers and I lead trainings and things like that, we're putting money in the bank with the students. You know, those caring gestures, those conversations you're having, those moments where you're joking and being really joyful. So then when there is a crisis moment, moment, you're able to kind of cash in on that trust that you've already built with students. Another part of that is working with teachers to control the environment. If there are things that we have noticed about students' behavior, we can do our part to control the environment so that there's not so many moments that trigger that stress and then that response. So it's really exciting work that I do, but a lot of it is actually just like hanging out with students, getting to know them, being really visible and putting that money in the bank so that when things happen, they know that you're someone that they can go to, that they're safe 
and um, we're able to reduce any harm. It's definitely not punitive. I do a lot of restorative circles. A lot of what my work is, is meeting students where they're at. So it's like, yeah, like he came in with a bad attitude or he's in a bad mood, but maybe he just needs someone to like show a little more care and kindness in that moment. Hey, did you eat breakfast? How are you feeling? How was your commute to school today? And it's like, yeah, it's not 50-50. The student maybe didn't meet me at 50%, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with going to 75 and then us working back together. You are a restorative dean. (laughs) I love that, right? (laughs) A restorative dean who is putting deposits into the life of children. I absolutely love that. I'm working on a project on a book with a good friend, a good colleague of mine, Dr. Kelsey Reed. And our book is going to be around deficit thinking. And I would love to hear in your work, just in your perspective, what does deficit thinking mean to you? No, deficit thinking comes up a lot in my work and not blaming anyone, but it's when we blame students for their shortcomings. And when I think about that, I think of actual professional learning community meetings where where teachers are saying things like they can't or they don't know better or how can we do this work when we know the home life is like this or I tried that and it it didn't work. And that shows up all the time in education. And it's not our fault, but it, it leads educators to believe that there's nothing else they can do or we should just scale back our expectations because our students can never meet them. Yeah. And actually, how does this deficit thinking, how does it show up in your work? How do you think it shows up in the students that you work with? I think deficit thinking shows up particularly in special education all the time. And we know that students from lower socioeconomic statuses, students of color, English language learners, and students with disabilities are particularly affected by deficit thinking. So especially when students may have really big responses to requests or challenge, I see teachers stop challenging them. They say, well, your behavior is challenging, so I'm not going to challenge you. So not asking students to participate, not designing instructional activities that are appropriate. They don't follow students when they leave the classroom. They don't help them reenter the classroom after they have an outburst. They don't attempt to build or repair relationships after there is a, a moment that's tough. And it happens. I I see that deficit thinking showing up in my work. Like I said, not blaming teachers for this, but I do see it because it's tough work. And sometimes it's easier to blame the student or just say they can't than really find creative ways to meet them where they're at. Yeah. And so, Ashley, I would love to hear, like, how can educators, if there's one or maybe two like practical strategies, like, okay, I recognize it's showing up, but what can I do? What can we do to actually address it in the moment? Okay. So I just had a conversation with a a guidance counselor and an assistant principal from my school. And we were talking about like a simple thing that we do. And we're talking about a student that, you know, he has had negative interactions in school. And I think it leads to him feeling negative about school. And, And maybe he shows up in that way because of the feelings that he has. Starting off with the, hey, we're happy to see you. Glad you're here. 
something simple. And the guidance counselor was saying, you know, and you know what, Ashley, sometimes when you just do that every day, you start to feel better about that student. You start to build that relationship, even though it started off from this place where you had to be really intentional about building the relationship. Over time, the relationship can be strengthened. I also think practically getting to know the students, doing a lot of activities where students are able to share their preferences and interests and being able to meet the learning objectives in the ways that feel better for them. So allowing students to make a video, make a rap, write a poem, draw a picture, realizing that there's a lot of different ways to get students to meet the learning objective or the learning goal for that day. Another thing that I do in my classroom a lot is mindfulness. Mindfulness activities, gratitude practices, things like that. Everybody has somebody that they care about. Everybody has something that they love. And when we allow students the opportunity to share those things with us, it helps us to see them in a different light. So it's not just work, 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 work. Like I have to know you. I have to understand you so that we're able to do this work. So I really think it's taking a step back, scaling things back and thinking, thinking about who this student is, what are some of the experience that they've had before they even came to me, and how can I create this learning environment or co-create this learning environment in order to lead to their success? So you are the restorative dean. You are doing everything and you are crushing it. <laughs> and this is the Healing Center Conversations podcast. So I have to ask you, what does being Healing Center mean to you? Um, a big part of my work is restorative practices, and I've seen so much healing occur in some of the circles that I lead. I've led circles for educators with other educators. I've led circles for students and their friends. And, you know, for example, there were two girls, they didn't speak for almost three months, and they were best friends. And one day, one of the students, she doesn't even talk, you know, all the time or to certain people, but she came to me and she said, I want to do a circle. I want to do a circle with Talia. I said, okay. I had them sit down. They shared. I was hurt because of this. I was hurt because of this. I wish you would do this. I wish you would have done this instead. And they held each other and they cried. And we made time in the instructional day for that to happen. And since then, they've been able to stay in class more, focus more on their work because this situation was weighing on them. And I think that's a part of it in creating these healing spaces. It's like, we'll get to the work. We'll get to it. But it starts from here. It starts from the heart. Another part of really being healing centered is recognizing, like I've mentioned a couple of times before, students and parents, a lot of us are coming to school with negative perception of schooling. And so sometimes it means healing that, that harm that has been caused in other educational spaces and taking time to show someone, this is why we're going to be different here. This is why you're going to feel different. And that's when that healing can start. Ashley, I think there's some dust in the room or something. My <laughs> eyes got a little bit watery here. No, that is a powerful example of what being healing center means and the power behind it as well. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Like the tears come. It's not just like work, work, work. Parent meetings, the parents are crying. I might have a tear. The students, they come together and they're able to repair their relationships. The tears come. And that's a part of it. It's like there is feeling in this work. There there is soul and heart in this work. And I also think that's a part of being healing centered is that you're heart centered and soul centered. And you recognize that that the soul and the heart is a part of the learning just as much as the brain. You are amazing. Oh my goodness. I, I've absolutely love, love, love this conversation. What's next for you? So I think what's next for me is school leadership. And I'm also thinking of ways that educators can feel supported in such a difficult time. So I actually participated in a mindfulness teacher cohort, and I'm really excited on expanding my work to include some mindfulness for educators. So I think that's what's next for me, along with growing teachers pay black teachers. Amazing. Any closing thoughts that you want to share? Um, Dr. McClure, you know, I think you're amazing. I'm looking forward to connecting with you further, maybe over some some work at the intersection of social and emotional learning and special education, if you're up for it. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> I, I am ready with the restorative Dean. Let's do it. Seriously. Thank um, how you. can people find you and get in touch with you? Okay, great. You can follow me on Instagram at Teachers Pay Black Teachers, on Twitter at Ashley Tuck, and also just typing in Teachers Pay Black Teachers.com. Go follow Ashley, support her. Let's all support Teachers Pay Black Teachers and the sensational work that Ashley is doing. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. Uh, To our listeners, wonderful. To our listeners, thank you for listening to the Healing Center Conversations podcast. Until next time, take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.